This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 96 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. 2018 was an interesting year for ransomware. There were more documented ransomware campaigns than the year before, but there was also a feeling that the focus had shifted to other forms of cybercrime, like cryptojacking. Our guest today is Alan Liska, Senior Solutions Architect at Recorded Future. He's the author of a recently published blog post, Four Ransomware Trends to Watch in 2019. We discuss the growth of the ransomware market, its impact, or lack thereof, the most effective avenues for ransomware infection, how one strain has found success through bucking the trends, and the increasingly fuzzy line between criminal groups and nation-state actors. Stay with us. Ransomware is still there, but it's essentially plateaued in 2018 and into the start of 2019. So there are still, of course, a number of high-profile attacks. So we saw Atlanta last year. We saw a number of city and uh, uh, city governments and uh, state governments impacted and some ports and, of course, healthcare providers. But there weren't as many overall attacks. So... It's still there. It's still a problem. It's not the biggest problem that's out there anymore. Hmm. Now, you've been tracking ransomware for several years in a row now. Um, what, what have you seen in terms of overall trends? Were, were things a, a lot different last year than the, than the years you've been tracking before? Yes. So we've seen a, a transition away from the exploit kit and phishing-based ransomware attacks. So that's the biggest thing that we've seen over the last couple of years. And this has been a slowly developing trend. You know, the simple fact is that um, while exploit kits are still impactful, uh, they aren't nearly as as impactful as they were a couple of years ago. Part of that is simply that the most popular target for exploit kits is Adobe Flash and fewer people have Adobe Flash installed on their systems anymore. More websites, more web applications are moving toward HTML5 based design rather than using Adobe Flash and Adobe in fact has announced its end of life in Flash. So there aren't as many target of opportunities for exploit kits to go after the browser market. And then conversely, there are more and better protections in place against phishing attacks. So more people are aware, there's more knowledge of what ransomware phishing attacks tend to look like. And then there are more systems that are in place that are blocking things that uh, that the ransomware attackers like to use. So where we used to see a lot of uh, Microsoft Office macros, more organizations are disabling macros, and even things like PowerShell and JavaScript that uh, attackers have used in the past, the, what we call the so-called fileless malware, so you don't have an executable that's being sent via email, those have even uh, are, are even more often being blocked or stopped by your uh, mail system. So we've seen a movement away from those type of attacks. Now, I, I want to uh, reference the, uh, your recent blog post. This was four ransomware trends to watch in 2019. Let's go through these one at a time. The first one that you highlighted here was 
The ransomware market will continue to grow, but few campaigns will have impact. What are we talking about here? In January of 2017, uh, which was the first year that I uh, that, that I started doing this um, report for Recorded Future, uh, we had 635 ransomware campaigns that we were uh, that that we were looking at. Um, in February of 2018, that jumped up to uh, a little over 1,100. And as of 2019, there's about 1,460 that we're tracking. Hmm. So there's still growth, but it's slow growth. But more importantly, what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of ransomware campaigns that don't actually have any impact. So hmm. it's real easy. Anybody can go out there and write some ransomware, you know, take the hidden tear code and write a, uh, you know, write, write some ransomware on top of it and then start distributing it through whatever means you're going to distribute it. It'll get written up, you know, somebody will catch it, it'll get written up by, you know, uh, uh, Trend Micro or McAfee or Symantec or Carbon Black or somebody like that. Uh, you know, all the um, uh, hashes and uh, indicators will be widely published. So, it gets noticed and it is a campaign, but it never actually infects anybody or if it does, it infects one or two people and then you never see it anymore. So we do see a continued growth in the number of ransomware campaigns. What we don't see is a lot of successful ransomware campaigns. Does that make mm. sense? It does, but I'm wondering what is contributing to the lack of success? Why are these these campaigns that folks are spinning up why aren't they being more successful with them? Uh, because uh, in general, as uh, security infrastructure has gotten better at stopping the sort of the basic ransomware. So, you know, uh, we, we see a whole lot of ransomware out there that's based on uh, older versions of ransomware, whether you're talking Hermes or Hidden Terror or whatever. Um, and, and you get people that dissect that and try and launch a new campaign. But we already have mechanisms in place to stop that behavior. So fewer and fewer organizations are relying on signature-based detection to stop their ransomware. They're looking at certain kinds of behavior, whether it's uh, looking for certain signs in phishing campaigns or certain signs in executables. And, and so they're not getting any kind of penetration. The campaigns that are long-lived and are seeing a lot of success actually have developers behind them that are adapting to the defenses that are in place and figuring out ways around them. Hmm. So when you talk about impact, is this being affected by people's adjustments when it comes to being able to mitigate the effects? I'm thinking of things like, you know, having better backup practices, those sorts of awareness things that have that people have put in place thanks to ransomware. Exactly. That That's 100% what we're looking at. It's those mitigating circumstances, whether that's enhanced email security, better backups, uh, the willingness to say, you know what, this particular system, if it is infected, it's not worth paying the ransom on. Um, all of those things lead to making it harder for a new ransomware campaign to gain any kind of traction. Well, let's move on to the second trend uh, that you highlighted here. This was successful ransomware campaigns will continue to rely on open RDP, before we jump into this one, uh, describe to us what do we mean by RDP? So RDP is Remote Desktop Protocol, and it's basically the way that you access 
Microsoft-based operating systems remotely. So obviously there's no SSH, no Telnet. Well, in theory there is, but that's a whole separate story. We won't get into that. Um, um, So the majority of people, if they need to access their systems remotely, use Microsoft's built-in tool, which is the remote desktop protocol. The problem is that there are just uh, uh, literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of systems out there that are exposed to the internet that have remote desktop protocol running. And a lot of those systems, when we say open RDP, we mean they don't even require a password. You just have to know it's out there Hmm. and you can connect to it. And, and, And the thing is, you don't have to, if you're a bad guy, it used to be back in the day, if you wanted to find these servers that are running remote desktop protocol, You'd have to spend hours, days, weeks scanning the internet. You don't have to do that anymore. You have tools like Shodan, which will, you know, present all open RDP systems in a particular network or in a particular country or, or whatever for you. Um, or you can just go buy access to a server in the underground market for fifteen bucks. So walk me through this. I, I, I um, I'm someone who has inadvertently uh, enabled RDP on my system. At work, let's say, so it has access to the network. How do the bad guys uh, take advantage of that? Yeah, so there are two ways to do it. Um, If you've opened it and left it wide open with no username and password required, they connect to it, they uh, gain access, you know, they then use your system to pivot to other systems in the network. So the really good actors, and we mentioned SamSam, Crisis, BitPamer, Although the SamSam uh, team has since been indicted and we haven't seen a lot of activity from them since the indictments went down, they will not use the initial point of entry, that initial uh, uh, remote desktop protocol server. Um, they They will jump to other systems on the network using Mimikatz, using whatever other tools they have available to move around the network essentially. And they'll learn, study the network, and then deploy the ransomware in a way that's going to cause the most damage. So they may spend a month inside the uh, target network learning and understanding what's happening in the network and then deploying the ransomware uh, in in a way that they know is going to uh, be more likely to result in the uh, attackers paying the ransom. Now, there's a second type of attack with uh, remote desktop protocol, and that's what, you know, a brute force login attack. So you know that you have remote desktop protocol, you know you have it exposed to the internet, but you've secured it with a username and password so that somebody can't just necessarily jump in and connect to it. Um, but you can also, if you're a bad guy, you can brute force that. You know that there are very common Windows uh, account names, administrator, local admin, etc that you can try and and basically you sit and try and use common passwords to connect into those servers remotely um, until you gain access. So those are two ways that remote desktop protocol can be used as a point of entry. Now, help me understand why this is such a widely accessible way in. Is it in an enterprise situation, is it hard for an administrator to to get a handle on this, to have a a good view of if RDP has been... um, activated and enabled on any particular system? It can absolutely be. Um, So you may run your internal scans on your network and not notice any of this, but if you're not running external scans on your network, so if you're not thinking like a hacker 
and going after those systems, you may not notice it. So it may be one of those things where a vendor leaves remote desktop protocol open on a server that's exposed to the internet because they need to be able to access it remotely to work and, and do things. Now, there are protections that you can do uh, that you can put in place in order to keep you uh, from, you know, keep keep you safer. So you may have to expose a, a remote desktop protocol enabled server to the internet, but you can also set up controls that compensated controls that say only people from this IP range can actually access the server, or you have to go through our VPN in order to access the server, things like that. So there are things that you can do to, to, to limit the damage, but often before even that, you, you get to that point, you have to know that those systems are there and running remote desktop protocol, which oftentimes uh, security teams don't know or vulnerability teams don't know that it's running. Well, let's move on uh, to your third point here. And uh, you highlighted uh, ransomware that goes by the name GANDCRAB. Yeah, so uh, GANDCRAB is the exception to the rule. Everything that uh, everyone else is doing to be successful in ransomware GANCRAB does the opposite. Uh, so they started in January of 2018. Uh, we mentioned them briefly in our 2018 report. They were just getting started. And they still have, they, they have their own exploit kit. They rely heavily on phishing um, as an attack, and they continue to find a lot of success. They're, they're using Microsoft Office macros. They're using DBScript. They're using PowerShell to avoid detection and they are seeing a lot of success and they've also farmed out their success. So they have a ransomware as a service where they're offering to deliver their ransomware for other people, not just for their own team. And they also have a low, uh, a low cost of entry. So their ransomware, you know, whereas something like SamSam would often ask for $10,000 or $15,000 and we've seen others go as high as you know, $150,000 for ransomware. GANCRAB is five to $600 is what they're looking at as the ransom. So they're doing everything wrong, but they're still finding a lot of success. Now, hmm. part of that is their adaptability. In, in the last year, they've released at least five new versions. So every time they get uh, stopped, so every time you know somebody publishes a report or uh, figures out a uh, patch for a vulnerability that they're exploiting and writes about it, that the GANCRAB team goes to work and updates their uh, ransomware so that it adapts to the security measures that are putting in place. And we see this on the, the underground forums where they advertise their ransomware. They often talk about how this new version addresses this particular uh, uh, security fix and they'll link directly to the security blog that talked about the protection in place or, or the... Uh, the, the way that, you know, new detection ability or whatever. And, and as you mentioned, it seems like with that low uh, ask, that low dollar amount that they're demanding, that that's more, I guess, consumer-based than going after big businesses? Right. So th as far as we know, they're not doing any targeted ransomware. They are, they're doing mass. So they're, they're basically the next generation of Locky and Cerber and, and the things that we saw in 2015 and 16. That, that, that made a ton of money and, and actually, you know, encouraged organizations to put the protections that are in place now in place. They're, go, they're, they're sort of the successors to that, and they're, um, they're, they're going after um, uh, that same market. Now, where do we stand with things like GANCRAB, and, and I guess some of these other as well, 
Where do we stand in terms of getting your data back? If I pay the ransomware after a GANcrab infestation, am I going to get my files back? With GANcrab, uh, pretty much, yes. Um, huh. You know, I mean, there's always the risk that it, you know, something will have gone wrong in the um, in, in the process, uh, and and the decryption won't work. Um, there's actually a funny story. Uh, about the team from Gancrab. So there was a gentleman who posted on Reddit a while back. He lived in Syria and, uh, you know, had been, uh, unfortunately, his house had been destroyed as part of the fighting that's been going on there for years. Mm-hmm. He uh, posted to Reddit that he'd been infected with Gancrab and, you know, on top of everything else, you know, he now has, you know, he can't get access to files on his system. He's, you know, living in a hotel with his family and so on. One of the authors of Gancrab replied to him and said, you know, we're really sorry about this. Um, here's the here's a decryption key for you, um, you know, so that you can uh, get your files back. You don't need to pay the <laughs> ransom and we'll put uh, protections in our ransomware so that we don't infect anybody who lives in Syria going forward. Wow. So, so they're criminals, but they're not monsters, I guess. Right? <laughs> I, I guess it's easy for us to laugh. It's not so funny for the people who fall victim to it, right? Right, right. Exactly. Well, I mean, it, it's like the old joke that we used to make that, uh, it, you know, the best way to protect yourself from uh, ransomware is to go out and get a Cyrillic keyboard. Because there are so right. many strains of ransomware that look for the Cyrillic keyboard and won't infect uh, a system that has a Cyrillic keyboard because they're operating within, the, they may not be operating within Russia, but they're operating within the Russian sphere of control. And you don't want to uh, upset the Russians. Right. So, right. Uh, so they just have protections in place so they don't accidentally infect somebody with a Cyrillic keyboard. Uh, now, the downside is you have to learn, you know, a some variant of the Russian language so that you can use the Cyrillic keyboard going forward. The plus side is you don't get infected with ransomware. I guess there's a market opportunity here for somebody to make a, a Cyrillic keyboard uh, dongle, right? Just, <laughs> it, just just plug it in a USB port and it pretends it, to the system it looks like you've got a Cyrillic keyboard installed. Right? <laughs> well, let's move on to uh, the fourth one here, and, and this is an interesting one. It's uh, nation states and cyber criminals will continue to blend ransomware attacks. So this is the one that is probably the most controversial of all the ones uh, of, of all the, the points here. A, an interesting trend that we see, you know, and, and, and you've seen discussions around this already with, uh, for example, North Korea and cryptocurrency um, and uh, other uh, crypto mining um, and, and other nation states engaging in this type of activity as a way to raise funds, the ones that are heavily sanctioned. What we're seeing is it appears that uh, some of the North Korean actors are are using ransomware as part of their attack trend. Now, what we don't know is whether these new ransomware attacks are a way to raise money or a distraction. So it's Hmm. been widely attributed that the WannaCry attack was perpetrated by North Korea, um, you know, that's not me saying it. That's the UK government and, and a whole bunch of other people. Right. Um, but WannaCry was not really about raising money. WannaCry was mostly about either destruction or distraction at best, um, or if you believe some of the reports, a happy accident. What we're talking about here is deploying the Hermes ransomware 
um, as part of an attack. And again, what we don't know is whether that is a distraction to hide the fact that it was a nation state attack. Because pretty much when people see, oh, hey, I've got ransomware, and you assume cyber criminal and you clean up with the base, with, with the understanding that it's a cyber criminal, or whether they, these attacks from North Korea were an attempt to actually raise money. Hmm. And, and, and I don't know the answer to that, but it's definitely interesting that we're seeing these kind of campaigns where, you know, Hermes started out as a you know, sold, being sold on Russian underground forums as, you know, a cyber criminal um, ransomware. It's then adopted by North Koreans. But then at the same time, like the Ryuk ransomware, which is based on Hermes, is still being used by Russian cyber criminals. So, or what we believe are Russian cyber criminals. So that, that it's an interesting blend of attacks. And I think we're going to see more of that, whether it's to raise money or to distract from the real nation state attacks. I'm not sure what that's going to be. But it is an interesting uh, uh, slant going forward. Yeah, I've certainly heard stories of, uh, well, the possibility of some of these nation state actors, you know, the folks who are sitting in the chairs in these countries doing the work, perhaps moonlighting, you know, in their off hours. So some of the stuff could be coming from the same IP addresses, the same locations, using similar tools. Um, and like you say, that sort of fuzzes things a bit. Exactly. And, and I think that's what um, that's one of those trends that we want to watch and see if um, and, and see if there is an ongoing trend here or if it's just something that North Korea is doing. Um, and if they are doing it, if it's something they're doing at long term or just, you know, here and there where they need a distraction. So as we uh, continue along in 2019 here, what are your thoughts? What, what's your advice to folks What's the best way to prepare myself so I don't fall victim to any of these ransomware campaigns? I assume um, you mean the, aside from the new fool your adversary with a fake Cyrillic keyboard uh, company yeah, well, that you and yeah. I are starting? Of course, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, that's – uh, yes, those will be available uh, within, within the next 30 days, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So if you are a home user right now, do the same things we've always advised – if you have Gmail, if you have Outlook, um, Microsoft's email, or even Yahoo, they're doing a really good job of catching some of the uh, c- catching a lot of the phishing campaigns that are coming in. Um, but make sure you're patching your browser when Microsoft pops up and says you need to install updates. Please do it. Don't do like my wife does and wait three weeks until I see that she hasn't updated in three weeks and. You know, I lose my mind. Um, (laughs) Just be aware of what's going on. Keep your antivirus updated and so on. If you're an organization, if you're doing scans, make sure you're doing external scans, not just internal scans. Um, And when you scan, think like an attacker. Know that attackers are looking for port 3389 to be open, which is the uh, remote desktop port. But they're also looking for things like JBoss. They're looking for things... Uh, like uh, open FTP, things that are exposed and generally lightly credentialed, so not using two-factor and, and other things like that in order to gain access, and that have a lot of default passwords or tend not to get updated a lot. So know what the attackers are going after um, and scan specifically for those items because you know, it, on top of the regular scanning that you're doing, also make sure you're, you're paying extra care and attention to those 
Uh, you know, one of the things that is that, that, that I really like about what Recorded Future does and one of the things that we really get to help our customers with, and, and I don't mean to turn this into a sales pitch, but is the fact that we can tell our customers, hey, these things are being actively exploited now. So we know that bad guys are going after uh, the new Drupal vulnerability that was announced yesterday. We know that there was an uptick in scanning um, from that. Uh, we know people are already actively scanning for that vulnerability. So being able to let people know that, hey, this is being actively scanned for, that allows you to better prioritize, oh, we should be patching these things right now. Now, what about um, backup strategies? What's your advice there? Uh, so, I mean, obviously, have backups. Um, you'd be amazed at the number of organizations that don't have them. Mm -hmm. um, test those backups regularly. That's that's the biggest thing. Make sure that you can actually restore from the backups. And then the other thing is, when you're implementing your backups, make sure that they are, after everything's backed up, that it's not easily accessible from the network. So a lot of the ransomware teams will find the organization's backups on network attached storage, storage um, and they can then just encrypt the backups. So, right. you know, they, they've not only encrypted the systems, but they've encrypted the backups for those systems. So make sure that your backups aren't easily accessible from somebody scanning the network. Our thanks to Recorded Futures' Alan Liska for joining us. The research was titled, Four Ransomware Trends to Watch in 2019. You can find it on the Recorded Future website. It's in the blog section. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett, the show is produced by Pratt Street Media, with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.